Welcome to the Samson Strength Coach Collective Podcast. We've created this collective in order to grow a network of strength coaches who are consistently raising the standard within our industry and as an educational resource for coaches of all levels. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Samson underscore EQ. This episode features Saul Martinez, assistant strength and conditioning coach and sports scientist for the San Francisco Giants, hosted by Justin Twin. Thanks, guys, for uh, joining us today. Today we got Saul uh, Martinez. He is the uh, head strength and conditioning coach for the San Francisco Giants. Um, we have on the call today uh, Justin Schwinn. It's me, um, the uh, human performance advisor for 58 Sal with AFSOC. And we got uh, Coach Darius Decree. He's the uh, strength and conditioning coach uh, for the uh, 58 Sal with AFSOC. Um, other than that, uh, Coach Martinez, you in a nutshell, or two and a half minutes, go. Gotcha. Well, I want to start off by thanking you guys for having me on this. I'm actually the assistant uh, head strength coach and slash sports scientist with the team. Um, I've been with the organization since 2014. I was their uh, AZL strength and conditioning coach for one season, and then I was the uh, Latin American coordinator for three years, and then um going on to my third year as the sports scientist slash assistant strength coach with the team. Uh, prior to being with the Giants, I uh, got my undergrad degree in biology from the University of California, Santa Barbara. After that, I went to University of Miami, in which I got my master's in strength and conditioning. I did a GA ship, or what was a GA ship at that time, with the football team. And then I was able to assist with track and baseball as well for a little bit. Um, once I finished up my master's, I came back home to LA and uh, ended up doing a six-month internship with the Olympic sports teams at UCLA. I did that for six months, and then I went to New Mexico State for about two to three months in which I was working with a coach deck uh, with the football team, softball team, and I believe, well, I think it was the track and field team as well. Um, and then after I finished with coach deck for two to three months, that's when I transitioned onto the AZL team with the San Francisco Giants. Coach, uh, having you on, you know, again, thank you for being here. Um, I definitely questions I've kind of asked everybody. I think kind of, we all want to know. Um, I think this just kind of helps drive us as our career transitions and our career blossoms and matures or even winds down. Um, what motivates you as a coach? Um, and this could be a two-part uh, question. It, has that changed from when you started to now? And if it has, what? And then any uh, staff members that you come in contact with, how do you motivate them? Um, and has that changed? So there you go. Floor is yours. Well, when, when I first got into the industry, I wanted to find ways to help athletes be more efficient with their movements or train more efficiently not waste as much time doing exercises that might not necessarily transfer on to their performance on the field. But I would say my main emphasis was try to help those athletes that didn't have those skills or those genetic traits that others might. So kind of give them a little bit more of a chance. You know what I mean? That was my initial reason for getting strength and conditioning, and I fall into that category. I'm not genetically gifted or skillful like that, and which is why I kind of got more into strength and conditioning because I – you know, something that like if you work at, you do start noticing, you do start to notice the difference. And I want to be able to help out those athletes that might not have those, those abilities or natural abilities. So I wanted to enhance their chances of succeeding. However, now being in pro sports, um, 
these guys are genetic. These guys are just gifted. You know what I mean? Like a lot of these guys have tremendous work ethic, but some of it is just like, just given, you know what I mean? And like, they have it, you know, some people have it, some people don't. Uh, but now it's almost getting them to realize they did that. Like they do have this ability, this gift that other people don't have and to use it to their best of their abilities, not to like let it go to waste. So now it's become more of a motivational type thing. You know what I mean? Like motivate those guys that have these gifts and, let them know that if they don't put to work, if they don't put the work in to utilize it, then they're wasting it. You know what I mean? So it, that's, that's how I kind of, that's how it's kind of switched for me. How about, how about staff members and coming in and motivating them coach? In terms of staff members, man, it's, it's, it's difficult, man. You know, each staff member has their philosophy and you got to be able to listen. I think you constructive criticism is always good. You know what I mean? Uh, but you got to really listen to why that, that staff member believes in what they believe and kind of try to view it through their eyes and see if you can like understand part of it, if it makes sense to you and then talk about it. You know what I mean? You're not always going to agree on the same thing, but can you come up to some sort of agreement where it's middle, middle, you know what I mean? Or can you try it one way and then try it another way and then see what works, you know? But I would say that's one of, that's one of the hardest things, but as, as we start to progress and as a younger, a younger crowd starts to get into the game, the philosophies almost start to become the same. You know what I mean? Especially, especially now with like social media and things like people are a lot more aware of what works and what doesn't work. You know what I mean? But then it also makes it more difficult because then there's also a lot of people that think, Oh, well, this is what I saw on Instagram or this is what I saw on the website. So if this guy's doing it and this dude's super jack, like it must work. And it's like, ah, no, not necessarily. He might be jacked because of other reasons, not necessarily because he's doing that particular exercise. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I totally get it, and I'll tell you, the, the younger strength and conditioning generation definitely is way more caught up um, or more prepared from a knowledge standpoint um, just because of social media, because of the Internet. You know, when I started, it was <laughs> it was still um, – there was there, high-speed Internet was just rolling out, so there was no yeah. YouTube, there was no Google or any of those other things, so everything was still – um, very much book based, and very much you better get your butt to a conference. So, um, it's you, you're right. They're they're very much more spun up, but experience wise, they still have no idea how to go left or right if they've hit that dead end of the road, and that just happens from knowledge. You look to a person with a little bit of gray in their beard or a little gray in their hair, and hopefully lean on them for that understanding. Um, no doubt about it, Coach Decree. Coach, you talk a little bit um, being in the collegiate and and then the professional baseball arena. Uh, I was curious to ask what has been the differences uh, you've experienced with generating buy-in um, with professional baseball players as compared to the collegiate athlete. Well, when I was in when I was in collegiate sports, the sports I was primarily working with was like football, right? And with football, like, you see the benefits from, like, gaining mass or from gaining strength, right? Whereas in baseball and pro baseball, like, those those how can I, those benefits don't necessarily translate because it's a really highly skilled sport, right? So the buying is a little bit more difficult. I guess in terms of, of buying is, is more of a consistency. Like, how do you feel now compared to yesterday's game 
or from a week from now, right? So it's almost like you can't – in pro baseball, you constantly have to talk to them and, like, get a reaction or get a response on how that exercise made them feel so that they themselves internalize, yeah, that exercise or that particular set did actually help me. Whereas in a collegiate sport, you think of the long-term picture. Like, okay, you might not feel really good right now, but maybe in a year from now, two years from now, when you're in pro, when you're in pro ball, you're going to see those benefits. You know what I mean? So it's easier to sell a program when your end goal is way later. Whereas in pro ball, like you have to perform every single day. So like, how can you sell them that this will help them out in the future when it's not necessarily helping them out in the moment? You know what I mean? So you almost have to make them aware in pro ball. Like, how does this make you feel today? How is it going to make you feel tomorrow? Like, you know what I mean? That's how, that's how I kind of go about it. Thanks coach. Coach Wood, you want to ask any questions, sir? And, and coach, yeah. hey, how you are too, Coach. We haven't got to introduce you. Hey, Coach. This is Ryan Wood. Um, I'm a strength conditioning coach at uh, Peterson Air Force Base. Um, just wanted to ask, how do you how do you create buy-in, um, or how do you get uh, your tactical athletes to um, start trying out your programs where you know they're more comfortable with the programs? that they've been doing themselves for a long time or, or how do you get them to, um, you know, switch over to that? I guess when we have an athlete that's just free agent, right. I'll actually let him do his program once or twice and then start building a relationship with them. And I know that sounds like an easy cop out, like, Oh, just build a relationship because everyone gives that response. Right. But once that athlete starts to like you and trust you, then you can mix in one or two exercises. Right. If he doesn't like doing a squat, then don't squat them. Maybe do a goblet squat or maybe do a lunge, right? Something easy. And then once he's like, oh, I feel pretty good with this. Oh, yeah, I like this response. And you can slowly start to mix in the exercises that you want into his program that are similar to what he does, right? Because if you off the bang, like, want to switch his things up, he's like, hold on, who are you to tell me what I'm going to do if I've been doing this for five years or 10 years? You know what I mean? So you slowly have to start mixing in one or two exercises while you build up a relationship. Like, you're not going to get him or her to like do your particular exercise within a week. Shoot. If it takes two to three months for him or her to buy into the program that you're selling, like that's a win. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yep. Coach, uh, real quick. I, something I, I've always, I want to hear from other coaches. I think it's important to hear this is um, what, qualities do you look for because I mean obviously anybody's goal is to take over what qualities do you look for when you want someone to work with your organization or work with you um, if you're the boss or even if you're an assistant and you're hiring someone above you what are those qualities that you see or deem that are important uh, that allow you guys to kind of see the same page or at least agree even if you agree to disagree is he a good person can I generally have a conversation with him you know what I mean? Like, he or she can be very smart and provide me with a great theory, but can they hold the conversation with you and say, hey, look, I, I don't agree with you on this, but this is why I think it should go like this. You know what I mean? Like, I might be wrong on certain things, and I'm wrong on things all the time, but if we can talk about it, like, in a in a professional setting or, like, as a friend, like, you know what I mean? Like, just talk shop, and I disagree with you, but I don't get offended from it, like, and we both learn from it, then that's a trade I want. You know what I mean? That's someone that I want on staff. You know, because if I vibe with him well, then 
more than likely my athletes are going to buy with them well. Like, you know what I mean? If he or she comes off standoffish when I'm interviewing them, can you imagine what my athletes are going to do? Like when my, like the athletes have pretty good, a pretty good field of how that person is. Like if to me, which you're to us better said, like that we have a good understanding of how the field works or what exercises do particular things. And we're like, hold on, why are you saying that? Or why are you coming at me like that? The athletes are probably going to feel it even more, you know? I think a second part to that is how would you describe your personal style or your style of coaching? I'm easy going, dude. Like, if you don't want to do what I'm going to do, that's fine. But I want to hear why you're doing what you're doing. And if it makes sense to me and it's not my program, that's cool because it works for you and it gets your it gets you going. And I mean, like, the only way I'm going to intervene and I'm going to get pissed off and you can get pissed off at me is if I know that's not a safety. Like I say, if it's a safety concern, then I'm going to get involved or I'm going to stop it. Like, you know what I mean? But I'm not going to change the exercise just for my own ego, just because like, oh, no, 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 no. You got to do this because of this. If you like it and I know you're not getting the full, ben- like the bull- like the full benefit off of it, but it makes you feel good. Let's go with it. You know what I mean? Then I'll slowly start to try to change it. But if it's an exercise that is the, the, the risk factor is super high. And you can get hurt, and then I can get, like, I guess, in trouble for it as well. Like, I'm going to stop it. You know what I mean? So that's how I'm just easy going. And then sometimes you learn from your athletes, man. Like, you start looking at stuff like, what is he doing? And then they're like, you start, you just, like, start talking to him. And it's like, he starts explaining it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that does kind of make sense. So that's why you do that. You know what I mean? So you just got to be open-minded, man. Uh, sure. yeah. I probably rambled on that, dude, but, like, no, that's I get just it. how I go about it, you know? I get it. So, uh, this is a little more sports science I'm not going to take away. I know Coach Decree's going to ask some. But being in the sports science side of things, you have to be cutting edge. You kind of be have to be ahead of the trend. Yeah. Um, and in that understanding, <laughs> you got to go to the coaching staff. You got to go to your boss. Uh, you got to go to these people. And you got to say, hey, this is where we're going. Yeah, so if we want to be ahead of the game. If we want to get the metrics that we're looking for, we have to get to this. So, how do you go about promoting innovative ideas and trends to to help create that buy-in? And, and what do you do? You know, besides just saying, "Hey, this works," what are some things you do to help create that buy-in of those innovative trends? I think number one thing is you have to think of why are we looking at that? Like, does that actually make a difference on the field and what the players notice the difference that it's causing or that it's having on them? You know what I mean? If it's not, then how are we going to be able to sell it to our staff members and the players? You know what I mean? Because if we can't make a change, then why are we tracking it? If it's not something that we can change, then don't track it. Why are you going to track it? Like, let it be that, right? So, I guess if, like, if for instance, I don't, I'm not too, I'm not good with the data. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, when I went to, when I went to grad school, like, for me, it was, like, in the weight room. Like, you were in the weight room working with the guys. You understood, like, the physiology behind it. But I didn't take Excel skills or stat, like, I didn't take stats courses or none of that stuff, right? So, when I'm thinking of, of exercises or what to look at, I'm thinking of it from, like, a theory standpoint, right? So, it's, like, why would we look at force plates? Okay, when we're looking at force plates, we're looking at eccentric load, concentric, right? Isometrics or like RSI, right? So why are we looking at that? Like, and does that matter to the players? 
and can we explain that to the players? So we can if we can explain RSI to the player and how that relates to power production, right? You being able to produce power quickly, and and we believe that's a valid metric to look at. And I'm not saying that's what we're looking at completely or nothing like, that, but I'm just kind of giving you an example. Then we should track that, right? So if I can explain it to the player and if I can explain it to the staff, then it's something we should continue to track. You know, I don't know if that I don't know if that makes sense or. Yeah, yeah, to- totally, and 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 I think that it has to. Um, besides, maybe management coming down and saying, "Well, this is this is how this team won this the uh, the World Series, and uh, they used this, so let's use this new Sparta Force Plate now because they did it." Like, yeah. I, there's got to be yes, you got to justify it to the players themselves. So I agree. Well, this is like one of like. This is like some. That's why. This is the reason why some players don't even like being tracked. Or you can't track someone's ability to re, to retain their composure on the mound or in the box. Once you can track that, once you can track that metric, you're gonna win championships, dude. And that's the one metric we can't control at this moment. But that's the number one factor. Like that's what separates these athletes. You know what I mean? It's like, man, this guy's not balanced. His asymmetry is all screwed up. He's fat. He's skinny. He's slow. He's this. But guess what? His composure on the field, you know what I mean? And the foul line, like, it's it's there. Like, he has that ability. And that's one of the metrics that we can't track. Or, like, maybe you can say, okay, you look at, you can look at his heart rate while he's doing that. But, like, you can, it, you can look at it as, like, well, he's excited. He's not nervous. He's excited. While he's at bat, his heart rate's at 80 85% intensity. It's like, well, you can either look at it as, oh, he's scared or, oh, he's primed up, you know? Like, look at it however you want. Thanks, Coach. Coach Cree. Speaking of uh, technology, what are some ways or, or, or how do you incorporate technology in terms of recovery? Um, and I ask that because, you know, that's something that a lot of young athletes and even still in our arena – uh, with the t- with the tactical athlete, it's a lot of wanting to just go, not understanding, you know, the benefits of recovery and how it translates to, you know, their their performance. Gotcha. Well, right now, like our medical staff and like a couple of our players are using Whoop. All right, so it's just a way to look at your heart rate, your resting heart rate, and then your HRV, and then it comes up with a recovery score, a strain score, right? And it's all based on just heart rate. Uh, for us, I decide, or we decided as a staff to kind of just trial it out on ourselves because I feel like if we understand our body better, then we can explain that to our players, right? So from a recovery standpoint, I think recovery is just, is your load for that day, like how much work you did, is it too high or is it not high enough, right? If you increase your load way too high and you don't get enough rest, then you're not going to be fully recovered. But if you slowly progress it, and you get the same amount of hours, you allow your body to recover, right? So using Whoop, and we also tried using Omega Wave, and I think Omega Wave is a great product, but Omega Wave, the issue with that was, like, the guys had to find five to ten minutes to wear it. You know what I mean? In the morning or midday, and, like, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. So the players get frustrated, right? So you have to find a, a device that the players don't have an issue wearing or trying out and then being consistent with it, right? So for me, like, I like looking at my resting heart rate every day. What is my resting heart rate today compared to yesterday? All right, so am I trending lower or am I saying about the same or is it going higher? If it's going higher, if my resting heart rate's higher, then that's an indicator to me that I'm either working too hard 
and not recovering enough or that I just need to sleep way more. Or you know what? Maybe I was stressed out, not even from like physical action. I was just probably stressed out because I got pissed off at my brother or I got pissed off at someone else or whatever it may be, right? Because there's different factors. There's mental and then physical stress, right? So it's almost, it's like a chin check for myself. It's a way for me to look at how my body's reacting to the stresses that are occurring, you know? And, and there's different factors. Like sleep is, of course, the number one recovery method, hydration, nutrition, right? So are your athletes or are we taking care of those? Are we becoming really good at the basics? Like we try to look at recovery as, okay, cryotherapy, uh, icing, needling, uh, Norma text. These are all great tools. But if your three basics aren't taken care of, why do the other ones matter? If you're not sleeping right, if you're not staying hydrated, and if your nutrition intake is not good, the rest of the stuff is it's like you it's like you cleaning the interior of your car and not washing the outside. It's like your car could be pretty on the inside, but the rest of the car ain't even right. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> so that that's just how I'm kind of viewing it is you know. Appreciate it. Coach yeah. you got anything, sir? Yes, sir. Uh, hey, Coach, I, um, just to piggyback off that, so I know that's some of, uh, some of the issues that I've run into, and I'm sure, um, you know, that's an issue across the, the board. But have you seen um, with guys, you know, with the whoop bands, with, um, you know, all the, the tracking apps and things like that, have you noticed where it's the buy-in is getting less and less, especially as the data comes back very flawed? Have you seen issues – um, selling it not only to your players because they're the ones that are wearing it, but to you know to your coaches and and obviously to your your staff and things like that. Yeah, no, that's that's it's one of the most difficult things, man. Because being a sports science guy, like I'm also the tech guy. If there's a malfunction on the device and it's like I have no control what that device is doing, like I'm just trialing it out and you know what I mean. I'm I'm testing it just like everyone else, you know. But I think if it's not the most how can I say it? Even if it's not valid all the time, the number one factor for using it is for you to be aware. Are you being consistent with what you're doing? Even if the numbers aren't the same, we're not doing, I'm not publishing a paper, dude. Like, and you're not going to publish a paper either, but like, do the numbers somewhat trend in the way that you believe they're supposed to trend? And if it's not, why is it a malfunction thing like maybe it hasn't functioned for two or three days call the whoop company or call this company and say how can i make an adjustment on this right but just because it doesn't work for two or three days doesn't mean it's not useful you know what i mean because in reality it's for you to make an adjustment on your body you know what i mean and do you feel good like how do you feel inside like you know what i mean because not everything's going to be 100 percent. like even when you know which is why we use other like vbt and like not everything's going to be perfect like we want it to be. Like, we look at all these papers and it's like, oh, this percent by this. And if you work out two or three times a week and do this particular exercise, your chances of a hamstring injury will decrease. Or, But guess what? Shit still happens. People still blow shit out. Like, it's not 100%. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's just another tool, man. Have you, uh, have you seen, um, you know, speaking on top of the awareness – um, obviously it's a great resource having all that stuff, but have you seen guys completely change for the positive with providing, you know, those resources? Yeah. I mean, um, the way we go about it is I don't even look at their data, dude. Like I, I don't like, it's like, here you go. You know what I mean? If you have questions on it, let me know. 
if anything, I think it's for us to educate them, Let, for us to educate them and then for them to kind of support themselves. You know what I mean? Like we're here to educate them. It's like, all right, would you rather get someone with fish or would you rather teach them how to fish? Like, I'm not going to look at your numbers and dissect your numbers every single time. Like I already explain what I want you to look at and then you start to notice it. And if you have an issue with it, then approach us, you know, and, and you get more buy-in because then there's more trust between the two. You know what I mean? Like people don't feel like you're like micromanaging them or just like have them underneath the scope, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No, great points. Thank you. Yep. Coach, I'd like to kind of ask a question a little bit different in terms of just uh, programming and training. Uh, working with baseball, you know, we know that that was a, uh, you know, with strength and conditioning, the slow buying in historically, you know, with football and other sports, what have you been able to see within the advancement of strength and conditioning, specifically with baseball and the baseball athlete? I feel back in the day or when I first, when I first started in baseball, like lifting wasn't a priority. Like I got in 2014, right? And like we still lifted and, our, our team does it. Our team did a really good job. or still continues to do a very good job with lifting. But baseball, as a whole, like the culture, like lifting wasn't a priority. It was just like, all right, yeah, you'll do it once in a while, whatever, right? But now it's becoming a, it's part of your development. You know what I mean? And and while, I guess it, I guess it defines what you want to consider strength and conditioning. Which you just consider strength and conditioning, just like all right, you're doing three sets of five or three sets of eight. With baseball, I've started to notice microdosing or like doing something every single day is kind of beneficial. And that's what like I would I would say some of our older or more veteran guys tended to do. You know, so you're like slowly like waking up some of your tissue before you go outside. You know what I mean? Like maybe you do some hip extensions one day, maybe you do it another day, or maybe you do a couple lunges. It's incorporating what your body needs that particular day at least for baseball. Whereas like for football, you can say, all right, we got a game every Sunday. So I'm going to get a heavy lift on, I don't know, Tuesday and Thursday or something like that. And I'm going to be easy walk through Friday and Saturday. Right. But in baseball, you can't load really heavy one day and then load heavy another day because you got to play that game. So you got to start to find what works for you as an athlete. Some guys might go total body two or three times a week. Some guys might go lower body, upper body split twice a week. You know what I mean? It's just you got to really mix it in and know your athlete, what works for them. Let me piggyback off of that question. What is your, what is your programming like in, um, in terms of your team and, and, and your athletes? This past season, we usually keep the reps between three to eight reps, right? Um, and what we started to do was we do some sort of mobility, like activation series in the beginning. And then we'll do like one main lift. Um, it'd either be like a split squat, a deadlift, or just a regular squat, you know. And we'd um, we started using VBT this year, so we'd kind of manage it with that, uh, manage the intensity with that. After that, we would do like two circuits, so like two, um, like three workout circuits, just to kind of get the heart rate going. Um, so you always want to you want to tax or have high intensity, but then also allow for like a, a little bit of volume towards the end, and then just kind of mix in with your accessory lifts, which is what our strength and conditioning, our head strength and conditioning coach is really good at, and he allows 
myself and then it allows the minor league guys to do is to kind of just mix in the accessories depending on what our athletes needs based off our assessment test in the beginning of the season. Um, and in the minor leagues, we would do testing. The guys, our strength coaches did a really good job of testing the guys at least once a month to then make adjustments to their programs based off of that, you know? So, like, if someone couldn't, if someone couldn't do a goblet squat or someone had an issue with ankle mobility, instead of doing a goblet squat, they might do a split squat or a reverse lunge or something like that. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Thanks. Yep. Uh, Coach Wood. Got it. All right, uh, Coach, real quick. One thing I wanted to really know, um, what were – who are your biggest influences? You kind of said it a little bit. Who are your biggest influence early on in your career, and who do you seek out now um, in your current role for what to know, you know, what's out yeah. there? Uh, shoot, that's a hard one, man. Um, I would have to say my advisor when I was in grad school, uh, Brian Biagioli, he really helped me understand programming and why we go about programming a certain way. Know what I mean? He taught me a variety of different exercises, um, you know, just from just varying from like functional mobility to like correctives to just straight strength and conditioning, like just basic lifts, you know what I mean? And how to perform them properly. So he helped me from like a technical standpoint, like coaching standpoint. Um, but from like a real psychological or like true life application, man. It'd have to be Coach Swayze, man. Andrew Swayze. He was at Miami for five. Oof, I shouldn't be cursing you. Sorry. Um, he was there for a long time, man. And he worked with some top-level athletes, man. And his mentality, man, like, I remember being 21, 22, be like, man, I want to be just like this guy, man. Like, this dude is awesome. Like, he has control of this weight room. These guys respect him. That dude would be in there – I'd walk into the weight room around 530, I think. I don't even remember. The time. It was early, man. It was dark. So I don't remember what time it was, but it was super early. And he'd be coming out. He'd be coming into the door from outside, sweating, just drenched, bro. He's like, oh, yeah, I just did. I just did one tens. I busted about 12 of them. You know, you got to stay in shape. And I was like, man, this guy gets after. He lifted and he ran. And he's going to eat his food. He was on a strict, not a strict diet, but he did really well. He'd take his shake. And then just balling out, man, just like nothing, just energy. So he had a big influence in terms of just, he's like, so just be yourself, man. Like, be yourself. Like, don't, this is what he told me. is like, don't put a different persona. Be you 100% of the time. You know what I mean? And, and he's like, just, if the guys are like you, if you're true with them, they're going to tell, they're going to notice if you're bullshitting them, if you're trying to play games, you're trying to mentally mess with them, just, be you, be good-hearted, you know what I mean? And the guys are vibe with you. And so that really sunk in with me, man. And you know what I mean? He he always thought ahead, and, and he knew how to control his emotions. He was very mellow most of the time. But then when he had to blow up, he'd blow up. But then that's when the guys listened, so they knew, like, oh, Swayze is on it, so I, I better get on, you know what I mean? And <laughs> I remember, I remember uh, Coach Al Golden, he was the head football coach during that time he had put goals during the summer right shindy conditioning goals for us so i think one of the goals was cranking out 20 
half gassers, right? So I think Scales had a run in, I believe, 16 seconds, combos 18, and then bigs in 20. And we all as a staff sat down to kind of come up with a plan on how we're going to attack this, how are we going to do this conditioning program for these guys to go about it, you know, to make sure that they pass it. And, yeah, we ended up doing that. We ended up coming with a plan. And then um, in the mornings, this is like we, we had, like, different sections, right? We had the bigs in the morning, then, like, the combos in the middle, and then the skills, or at least that's kind of how I remember. Um, the first thing they would do is run. They would do the conditioning. My job and my friend Kurt, Kurt Johnson, who he's at, he lives in Miami right now, like, one of my best friends, man. Him and I would have to – take the clock out of the closet it was a massive counter massive like timer we take it out and we had like this huge extension cord because at the university of miami like they have like i think it was like two practice fields and on the practice poles or like on the foul poles on the field goal pole sorry that's where the power outage came that's where the power came from so me and kurt <laughs> will run this huge extension cord like maybe like 30 40 yards that was the nearest like uh power cord and sometimes the shit wouldn't turn on man like power wouldn't come through and like and then one assistant coach is like so go away what's the power man we got to get this going and i'm like oh shit. i'm like shitting bricks dude i'm like fuck it's not going like what are we gonna do like damn all right, all right come on messing with this and i'm over there trying to click the reset button you know i'm an intern so i'm like trying to like not mess up on this because the other guys the whole team's waiting for me power cord right so I'm like, all right, boom, boom, boom. Got it done. Cool, cool. Got it done. And then on the timer, there was this little pad where you had to input, all right, 16 seconds. It was like a certain code. All right, 16 seconds, boom. And then boom, click it. And time in, boom. All right, I got to reset it again. And I was nervous, man. At that time, I remember it was a big thing for me because I didn't want to mess up, accidentally put 17 seconds instead of 16 seconds, right? And it seems like, oh, that's an easy thing to do. But at that moment, I had to keep my composure, right? And it sounds crazy, but, like, little things like that, it's just, like, you got to be able to control it. So it, it allowed me to, like, control myself under a situation in which I thought was a big deal. And for me at that moment in my career and my life, it was a big deal because that was a big responsibility for me was they trusted me to do a minuscule stat, like task like that, right? But – as you start to become a coach, you start to be given bigger tasks and bigger tasks and bigger tasks, bigger tasks, right? But if you're not responsible enough and if you don't have that pressure, you don't put that pressure on yourself to be good at that particular task, which a lot of people are like, ah, it's nothing, man. That's a little thing. Like, you mess up on it, who cares? Then you're not going to be good at the bigger things, right? So going back to, like, the athletes, man, I'm sorry, I probably went on a ramble. You had to ask me who was an influence, right? But going back to, like, the metrics and what we look at, right? That's why these guys are what they are, man. Because when they were little, they took everything to heart, man. Like they wanted to be perfect and you have to be perfect. And I think us as a coach, for us to be a good coach, you have to want to be perfect in every single thing you do, but be yourself while doing it. You know what I mean? Like, so that's what I learned with Swayze, man. It's like, be you, but take things to like, be serious with your thing too and be responsible. You know what I mean? So he told me the reason I work out so is because if I can't do this, if I can't do what I tell my players to do, then I have no right to tell them to do it. 
if I know I can do it, they could do it. So that was one of the things that, that I learned from him and I respect him a lot for him. I respect him a lot because of that. And he's one of the guys that I still continue to keep in contact with, man. He's at, he's at FIU now, but I would say those are the two biggest ones, man. How about today, anybody that here of recent that you really start to dive into or, or, or key on? Um, I had a really good relationship with uh, Carl Cochin. You know what I mean? Um, I think he's a great mentor. Um, he was the head strength and conditioning coach for us 2018. Um, he's no longer with the team, but he's always a great resource, man. And his approach to talking to the athletes and trying to relate what we do in the weight room and on the field, like what we do in the weight room, why we do a certain conditioning, how that's going to relate to on the field. Um, that's a huge thing. You know what I mean? Like how do you relay that what you're doing right now is going to help you out? You know? And, and that's also like what you guys had asked me, like what's the difference between college and pro? And it's like, can you relay that message to that pro athlete that what they're doing right now is beneficial? Like, it's like a simple thing as an RDL. Like, how's an RDL relate to baseball? All right, well, what about that landing leg? If you don't have stability in that front leg, are you going to have really good control of that baseball when you let it go, right? So so simple exercises, maybe an RDL allows you to do that. It's not completely similar. It's not the exact same thing, but it's close to it because you're active in similar muscle groups, you know? So then you start relaying that message to the guy, and it's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, this does make sense. It's not just eyewash. Because everything guys will be like, oh, yeah, it's eyewash, eyewash. Anything they don't like to do will typically <laughs> typically be considered an eyewash exercise until you actually relate it to them in terms of baseball. Uh, real quick, I'm going to throw a curveball at you, Coach, talk of baseball terms. Hope we can yeah. get it. Um, so all three coaches on this uh, podcast are uh, tactical coaches. Uh, so we're okay. Setting. Um, you kind of have a bird's eye view of that. I mean, you, you've heard of it, you know of it, but you've never been in it. So I'm going to challenge you on this. So things yeah. you, 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 you find that have been useful, kind of your, your toolkit that have been useful across the board with all your athletes. Um, and if there's something that you, you really want to use, but maybe it doesn't quite uh, uh, fall into the baseball realm, but you think it can really work in the military realm, what are some things that you would you, you feel that would uh, be crucial or be optimal to use in our setting? I think keeping someone continuously working during a workout tends to help. If there's too much downtime during a certain exercise, you allow the athlete to think too much in terms of like, do I really want to do this or do I not? You know what I mean? Whereas like if you kind of keep a circuit and you pre- like if you put out the exercises or you put all the equipment before they even get into the weight room and you don't even ask them like, Hey, like I want you to do this. I was like, or Hey, do you want to do this? You kind of, Hey, like I already have this planned out. Boom, 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 boom. It's ready to go. So then they have two, two rounds of it or three rounds of it. If you kind of say it with confidence and you already have it laid out where they just have to kind of keep going and give them like one, maybe a one, one minute break, a two minute break in between the circuit. Then it kind of tends to help where if it's too much time in between sets, something to come like, I don't know. I just start to notice it. The athletes get kind of bored with it. You know what I mean? They don't really find it as a challenge, you know, but you do need to have some sort of in, like high intensity. But I think I feel like for us, or at least for me, from what I've noticed, like if I were to do circuit training with the guys, it's a lot more fun for them. 
you know, and it doesn't take as much of a time, you know, especially during the season. Like, yeah, of course, during the off season, you want to take your time with certain things, but sometimes the guy wants a 20 minute, 30 minute quick workout and be out. He doesn't want to spend 20 minutes trying to squat, you know? I guess so, I got two more questions. One, this is important to me. So your setting training for the most part is voluntary. Guess what? Same thing in our setting. Yeah. They're not, they're not, you would think military, they're required. Well, actually it's the one thing they're required not to do. Okay. Um, so if they want to participate, uh, it's on them. So we have to, just like you, we have to be a little bit of a bartender, a little bit of a, a barber and, and recruit them in and, 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 and do that. And you've kind of talked about it a little bit, but yeah. what are, what are some of your, your, uh, what I like to say, uh, what's, what are some of your secret sauces you use you think, to, really, to really recruit those athletes in um, to really have your buy-in? My, my goal and their goal have to be the same for that particular workout. I can't tell them I want you to do this and this and this and this. The only way they'll do it is that they believe they need it in their workout as well. So sometimes it's good to ask, like, hey, where do you feel like you're kind of weak at right now or what's kind of tight? What what can we avoid? But we should definitely do this or this. Like, for instance, like for some of our baseball players, like, all right, they don't get a full lift in. I at least want to get shoulders, glute activations, and maybe one or two mobility, right? So if I know someone's hamstrings are really tight, let's work on your hip hinge, maybe your ankle mobility, and then maybe do one glute activate or one glute exercise and shoulders. I didn't get everything. I didn't get a full lift in, but I got something. You know what I mean? I got something better than nothing, right? So it's almost you knowing what that athlete needs and the athlete agreeing that he actually needs that. Because if he knows he needs that, then he's willing to do that particular exercise or those particular sets of exercises, you know? Because you're not always going to need a full lift, you know what I mean? Like, But as long as you can target one or two things, maybe you can switch it off, like, if you have, if you have, I don't know, eight exercises for, or sorry, six exercises for your lift, for your, your whole workout, and the guy doesn't want to do the whole thing, maybe you can split it up in two, you know, split it up in between two or three days, you know, and especially if they got to, I don't know, I'm not, I don't, if they got to go, they got to do some sort of tactical event or for us a game, is it really going to make that much of a difference whether they do the exercises today, tomorrow, or the following day? Because at the end of the day, they're still going to have to, play you know I, I agree uh, last last big question of the day for me coach um is you know in our current setting we're in this pandemic and everything's pretty much if not in some places they're kind of rolling it back but it's pretty much all on shutdown a lot yeah how do you see it could be you particularly as a whole um in the industry, how do you see if we see this rolling back out? Um, obviously, there's going to be a phase component to everything, but how do you guys currently see it rolling back out, getting back to, I guess, getting back to normal day to day? Like, what, what, how do you see that happening? And how do you, how are you guys going to go about doing that? Um, well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, we haven't really discussed it in full, um, but I think our best approach would be what do we expect of our players once the season does start? What, what do we consider safe? Like, do we consider it safe playing three to four games per week? Uh, 
what running volume do we consider safe or like what will we consider an average running volume per game right and once we do have those metrics or swings or throws right and once we do have those metrics how can we regress or come up with a progression right that would allow us to get to those certain numbers safely right um there are going to be risk in terms of how we progress but how can we take the safest protocols to doing that right because if you want a guy to play be able to play five games per week or five out of the seven games per week how do you start that how do you start that do you start them by playing one game per week or two games per week three games per week you know what i mean do you have them play i'm sorry i'm just talking baseball terms but you know what i mean that's kind of just like the thought process and that's something i think we we would all end up have to talk like we would all have to talk about but you have to you have to have an end goal or what we considered end goal that we all as a staff believe is safe and then work backwards to get to that goal. You know, like let's say if you want, all right, so I'll go back to like the, the Swayze analogy with the, with the running, right? Like, let's say we're going to do 20 half gases, right? How do we go about getting 20 half gases? Like, do you just slowly progress it? Okay. We're today, we're going to do six tomorrow. We're going to do eight or I mean, sorry, next week we're going to do eight and then 10 and then 12 and then 14 and then 16, then 18 and 20, maybe, but how much time do you really have? Do you have two months? Do you have a month? Your time actually is going to dictate how you go about it. Right? So the way we went about it is, all right, well, let's get the volume. The volume is going to be high from the top. Right? So it's going to be, let's say a hundred yards, a hundred times. So it's going to be 2000. It's going to be 2000 yards. Right? which is actually not a high volume, right? So that volume's there, but the intensity will probably be lower, right? So we start building up the volume and then slowly start increasing the intensity, right? So the guys, the muscles start getting used to that. And then start, instead of, because we would give them 30-second break for the first 10 and then 45-second breaks, what we ended up doing was, instead we gave them 45-second breaks for the first 10 and then a minute break. So then you slowly start to build up their anaerobic uh, capacity, right? But if you were to start them off with 30 and then 45, they wouldn't be able to do it. So that's almost like the same thought process with us is how can we start building up their capacity in a safe way? And that's something that us as a staff are going to have to go about it. Like, and we got a lot of smart people on staff to congregate, to go about finding this, you know what I mean? And it's, and it's, it's really hard to define what we're going to do now, not knowing when the season's going to start. You know, like our plan could be different if it's a month, two months, three months from now, you know? So I think the best bet for us at the moment is just have these guys doing something, man. Have these guys doing sprints. Have these guys consistently lifting. And I'm, I'm sorry, dude, I went everywhere with this, but that's just how I'm thinking we'd end up doing this. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you got to actually obviously phase it in. Um, because you got guys that done jack squat, and you got guys that are are, are like machines and going every day because they got their own gym. They probably got a, a trainer where they're at, and, and they're doing the things to, to come back full go. So, and, and I think it's got case by case basis too, because you know the Giants might be freaking full go, and everybody might have been working their tail off, but then the Astros might have been drinking margaritas and and eating freaking cheese puffs. You know what I mean? Yeah, you don't know, so, man. Like, yeah, totally. You, know? you got. Got to see that landscape. That's where you kind of almost have to 
like you said earlier, almost kind of have some sort of, you know, a lactate and lactate base component when they come in just to see where they're at, see their baseline is. But you still got to have a plan, but I understand that baseline. And then from there you say, yeah, do we go up or do we have to go down based on that baseline where we see it? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Last, last part of this, Coach, um, this is you. This is open to you. Uh, anything that today you wanted to share with us, um, the audience, um, like I call it the knowledge, knowledge nugget phase, or, yeah. or part of this, please. Um, the table is yours. Um, I would have to say, like when I first got into the grad school program, like one of my things was like efficiency, right? How can we start training more efficiency? Um, I think us as a strength staff, or us as just a development staff, we can't confuse efficiency with doing less in terms of like, we still need volume, right? So efficiency to me means like, is the exercise you're doing really worth it or not? You know what I mean? But I think we get scared of running or like lifting the guys at times. And you do have to provide that type of, you, the athlete does need that volume in the weight room and on the field, you know? So we want to be efficient, but not by undertraining the athletes. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, and it, it's, it's cool. Like Tim Gavitt's ratio of eight to three, like, that's awesome. Like, it's great that there's numbers on it. You know what I mean? And he, uh, we, he actually presented to us a couple, couple years ago and it's cool, but like people jump on trends and like, that's the new thing, but, and he, and it's good that he validated. I'm not discrediting it at all, but at the end of the day, all that is, is progressions. You're just progressing the athlete. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's it's not it's not rocket science. You know what I mean? Um, it's just progressing, man. And like, you know, if you're progressing your athlete well, if if you have a good relationship with that athlete and you're just talking to the athlete, and it's like, hey, how was that running session yesterday? How was your lift yesterday? How do you feel? Like, I mean, like all these metrics are cool, man. Like, it's cool that we're trying to validate things, but we can't lose. Our, we can't lose our work ethic. We can't take our, our players' work ethic away through volume. All right, we can't sacrifice volume due to the efficiency, and we can't sacrifice our relationship with the athletes by numbers. You know what I mean? Because numbers aren't going to tell you everything. You got to know your athlete, and sometimes the numbers will change if that athlete feels better. Mentally, he might shoot. He might feel fantastic that day. And his numbers might jump up a little bit. It's like, man, what the hell happened to him today? He just felt really good, dude. You know what I mean? Like, and sometimes that happens. So we, and which is why I'm saying like, when you ask me like, what trait do I look at or what trait do we look at? Does that player, does that coach motivate you? Do you like being around that coach? Does that coach bring out the best in you? Because as an athlete, you don't want a coach that puts you down or like, say you're not good like this is your goal like you know what I mean it's telling you what to do all the time like you want someone who's supportive and you know is there to help you out and uplift you you know what I mean someone that's like a family like and um I think having that family atmosphere that brotherhood like I mean you can't look at your athletes just as an athlete sometimes you gotta like them as a person and like, I can't say sometimes you gotta like him as a, him or her as a person you know what I mean because if you do then you're gonna do 
the most you can for that particular athlete, you know? Mm-hmm. Great. Coach. So that's kind of how I, how I go about it. And honestly, man, like that's, that's, I, I, that's how I feel a lot of people or that's how we should be. Mm-hmm. I mean, like we can't get lost in the profession where the numbers are this and the numbers are that to validate our job. Or like, oh, look, this guy's number went out by this, so I'm a tremendous strength coach. Yeah, who cares? But we still lost the game. We still lost the games, bro. Like, you know what I mean? I'd rather have sorry metrics and certain things, but everyone work together and have great team chemistry and us win the games. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's KPIs, and they're KPIs for a reason, but, like, sometimes the best KPI is chemistry and bondage between, like, our – you know, baseball – all right. Baseball is a very selfish sport. Right, it's super stat data driven. Right, but I think the best teams or teams are starting to win or win games because everyone's working together. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You don't always end up having to hit the ball, but maybe like you got a better read on the ball. Maybe you get more pitches thrown at you, so then the guy's arm gets tired. Like, of course, you want to hit the ball, but you just become a better teammate. And I might not be the best example, but my point being is. If you worry too much about what you did, you know what I mean. Instead of how you can help the whole team as how you can help the team as a whole, you're not gonna win. Like maybe you know what I mean. And it's different. Like baseball is different in that way that you can pitch really well, but you can still lose a game. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Spot on. Spot on. Whereas, too. like, also you can go three for four, but then your team still lost. You're good, so you're cheerful. But should you really be cheerful? Because you still, you guys still lost. Or would you rather go one for four and then the team still win? I don't know. Like, I'm not making that money. I'm not the player. Like, my salary isn't based off of my performance on the field. But that's just, I just, that's how I feel. Like, you know what I mean? And sucks to lose. And you know what I mean? It, it, it feels good to win, like, when you're on a winning streak. But I tend to notice that when we're on a winning streak, it's because everything's bonding together. Like, you feel good. The energy level's high. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's created through teams and through coaches and support systems. And I lifting you, you lifting me up when I'm down. And that's something that we, we can't lose. We can't just try to focus on numbers. Like it's, that's where we're going. You know what I mean? And, but we should use it as one of the tools and not the end tool. Like I seen, uh, I'm blanking. Now why am I blanking on his name? Vern Gambetta, yeah, he posted up something about like, all right, you can have a master's degree from this school. You could have like interned at this awesome school. You can have this great theory. You can have all this. Like you can be super well at stats, programming, but can you coach? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, can you coach? You can have all these theories, but can you convince that athlete to believe in you, trust in you, and do what you tell him to do? And if you can't, your theory doesn't mean anything. You know? Agree. So that's Agreed. just how I kind of not sure if you guys have any input on it or no, any I think questions, it, you know? I think it's that's that's what they call the art of coaching for a reason, coach. Yeah. Yeah. Um you know, the, the honor your time, respect your time, and you're busy. Um, we're at the hour mark. So uh what I wanna say is thank you, coach. Uh uh awesome um i love to hear you know what's so cool about this is like literally we're talking to people from everywhere um tactical setting professional baseball professional football high school um and you know ultimately what i love about it is the people we choose 
the ultimate purpose is to engage with the athlete, to, um, to build a relationship and to do it for something more than you. Um, yeah. and I think that's the consistent message I'm getting. And, and, and I'm, I appreciate the hell out of that because that's why we all really get into the field. That's why we should be in the field. Um, so thanks, Coach. I can't I can't tell you that enough. I know we all will reciprocate that. And best of luck, okay, Coach. All right. Well, thank, thank you, Coach, you guys for having me. Take Appreciate care. it. Yep.